health from the perspective of uh, political ecology and then give specific examples of how uh, societal change has been associated with uh, different aspects of health change. So it's going to be a bit of a, a Cook's tour of Peru, Papua New Guinea, and, and South Korea. And the South Korean example is going to be about you know, embodiment and um, body perceptions uh, in modernized society, whereas the earlier examples are about uh, more traditional societies. In Peru, for example, a colonial system has led to certain patterns of health uh, that uh, 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 persist to the present day. In Papua New Guinea, there was very rapid modernization, which led to unexpected uh, changes in, in health and disease. So each of them will illustrate something uh, that's a little bit different. I'll talk about Peru. And uh, political ecology is, is, is thinking about the political economy of, uh, of societies that live fairly close to nature in terms of human ecology. It's the relationships between uh, the state and the, the, uh, and, uh, the market and uh, local communities that have to respond to that. And it's the ecological effects of political economic processes. So when things change in a country, there may be a small community, a small society somewhere, uh, perhaps in a remote place, that some decision has been made nationally or internationally that impacts on them and results in, their, uh, results in health change. And uh, uh, this is a way of thinking about um, uh, these, kinds of, these kinds of changes. The uh, Peruvian example is about the, the Nanoa, who have been uh, studied quite a lot and live in uh, the Andes, in remotest uh, uh, Peru, and they um, form a significant population in places like Puno, which is the, the major town that's uh, uh, in their district, and in Cusco, which is the, which is the regional capital. Uh, both Puno and Cusco have grown dramatically across the last two decades, 20, 30 years. And part of this has been the huge outmigration that's happened from, uh, from, from the mountains. You could say there are similar phenomena in places like Kathmandu and Nepal, um, Apokra, uh, where you know these are Himalayan nations, but where there are still high fertility rates, and the traditional patterns of um, of agriculture of subsistence uh, lead to um, a, a a fertility regime that cannot be sustained on the existing on the existing land. So I'm going to talk about uh, Peru very briefly. There are also colonial structures, hacienda system in Peru, um, where uh, there are landowners and, the, and the, the system of land distribution also impacts on people's nutrition because uh, they're very limited to what they can do. There are major landowners from the time of the Spanish that have divided up some of the best lands, so local populations are quite marginalized on the basis of something that happened hundreds of years ago. So we have to think about you know, how these systems have structured you know, how people live. I mean, this same is absolutely true in, in Vietnam, the same is absolutely true in Malaysia. You think about how, and Pakistan, I'm sure, but how land is divided. When you have um, the plantation systems that are established in, in, you know, in, in, in places, like, uh, places like Malaysia, who takes that land? What kind of production does it go into? How does it disadvantage local communities? So I'm just putting these up to make you think about these things. 
and, and particularly in your own context. This is a system. It's a different system. It's a system of the political ecology of um, this particular highland uh, uh, population, the Ninoa. And just to say, take a few points from this. They could not be able to support themselves on their existing agriculture. Their energetics shows that in terms of how much food they produce, it's far too little to be able to sustain their population. They herd alpaca, and they herd sheep, and they herd llama, yama, um, for their wool primarily, and these things bring a high price on the market. The fact that they're engaged with a market in, um, in, uh, in, with, with urban uh, with, with urban populations means that they can sustain themselves uh, through being able to sell things that are prestige goods. The same is also true of nomadic groups, for example, in the Middle East in the past where they could sell animal products, leather products and so on at a high price. So they could live somewhere that was very difficult to live but could trade with what they have. So trade is very powerful in keeping Margin communities in marginal places where they are. And it's not just recently that this is happening. You go back thousands of years and people have been, been engaging in these kinds of patterns. I'm sure all of you can think of examples um, uh, uh, for, uh, uh, with respect to how this happens. So the Nunoa have an average of five children. These children traditionally didn't go to school. Um, they would be engaged in herding animals. These animals would be the ones that give them the, the products that they could sell to sustain themselves. But what do you do when the children grow up, when you can't divide up the land, when there's nowhere for them to go? They end up in town. So part of the, this system in, in, in the remoter places is driving um, urbanization. It's not just that people are attracted to the city, they're actually, it's difficult to sustain their existing practices in the remote place. So that's one, <clears throat> one, kind of, one kind of example. So they live in a marginal environment. They're impacted by colonial systems. Their demography and subsistence is not sustainable without being able to trade and be able to get good prices for what they trade for. There's significant out-migration to, uh, to, to, to the towns and cities. And the demographic problems have been exported to the urban areas. So the issue here is urbanization is not an isolated phenomenon. It's clearly related to what's happening in other parts of the country. So that's my, my first example. Um, the second case study is the um, Pari village, a cultural epidemiology. Um, and this is Maddox's uh, paper from the, from the book. The Pari live in Papua New Guinea. And uh, you know, traditionally, uh, there were uh, another uh, trading community. He used to trade with people in Port Moresby. Um, used to be able to trade uh, uh, pots for food, and, uh, and, and this sustained the urban population. And the, so there was a good urban-rural connectedness. Where I worked in Papua New Guinea on the south coast, the same was true. These were traditional populations that had traded for thousands of years, hundreds of years in some cases, thousands of years in other cases. What happens when um, westernization happens? Uh, this is an, uh, just to show that um, all the things that people have, many of the things they have, were obtained through, through exchange. So most of the goods traditionally that people have were obtained through exchange, even before Europeans arrived. So the idea of trading and of exchange was already in people's heads before modernization as we know it had happened. So what I'm asking you to is think that 
think back a little bit and think about how you know people already have the idea of being able to trade, being able to do business, and so on, even before the, the contemporary modernization happens. Okay, in terms of um, dietary change, it's not me, is it? No, it stopped. Um, in terms of in terms of, of, of modernization, uh, one of the things that happened um, early on was that when people started to use bottles. Um, and goods were brought in in bottles, then people didn't know what to do with them. It sounds very silly, but children wander around in bare feet, um, non-returnable bottles on the beach, and so cut feet were a major issue. Now, that's comparative, in some ways quite trivial, but it's not. In a place where uh, tropical ulcers can develop very easily if cuts are not, uh, not looked after. <clears throat> so what is seemingly a mi minor thing becomes a major thing um, in, in, in a new context. The other thing is that children wander around in bare feet and, and their exposure to feces is large, so ascuris, trichuris and so on are all major things that affect, um, uh, affect people's lives. Now with change, um, people got very confused. And again, with modernization, you think that the patterns are straightforward, but if you're faced with a new set of circumstances, um, what can you do? Violence, drug abuse, brewing of alcohol, youth indiscipline were all things that came in very quickly. How do you control these things when adolescents start to, to, uh, to, to, to act up? A decay of old obligations, no caring, no sharing, starting to look after each other. Because one of the things that modernization does is it turns societies into individuals. You start thinking about yourself. When you start thinking about yourself, you don't think about the social body. You become less regulated. And again, in you could compare this to obesity, where if you are acting as an individual, you're under less social control. So you can do what you want, including, you know, overeat as much as you want, if you want. So, so this is this is one of the issues that comes with with, with modernization. Um, Dynamiting and destroying the reefs. How to get fish? Well, throw dynamite in the water and you can catch fish very easily. But it's non-sustainable. When people have an idea of sustainability, you know, things are always there. They will always be there. You change something and suddenly what you want to sustain has disappeared. When I worked in the Cook Islands, the reef was dead. The coral reef was dead through, through contamination and people were not fishing anymore. Uh, the major issues were things like traditional subsistence had changed, trade patterns had changed, colonial changes had happened. There was a contestation over traditional medicine versus Western medicine, which is not just about the medicine itself, but it's about authority and control over health. If you have traditional healers in a village, they lose control when Western medicine comes in. It's not just a question of what's more, more powerful, more efficacious. You change power structures in a place by changing these things. And you might say, well, Western medicine is more effective, but you need to be sensitive to the other things that are, are happening in a, in a village. Um, Population growth led to infrastructure problems, so sanitation and so on led to new health problems. And of course, understanding things when you know everything had changed and people had no control over what they did and how they did things. Okay, that's the one from Pari, Pari Village. 
In Papua New Guinea, elsewhere, in the Parari, in the in the Octedi region where, where I worked, they opened a gold mine, and I was there to look at the nutritional impacts of of, uh, of, of the gold mine, right in the heart of the of the New Guinea island. People traditionally were hunter horticulturalists. They lived in the in, in the forests, um, and uh, and were able to to live fairly sustainable lives. Uh, with the Octedi changes. There was a town built in a very remote place. People migrated in towards the, in towards the township. And the first thing that happened when the mine opened was a virgin soil epidemic of, uh, of measles. So infant mortality rates shot to uh, a third of, uh, of, of the entire population. So a third of all the young children died in one year uh, when, 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 this thing, when this happened. Structural changes led to um, a whole range of other things um, from living in fairly squalid shanty towns, uh, infrastructure followed, immunization campaigns followed, um, building of health centers followed, and the quality of life generally improved. But there was an issue, which is a, a long-term issue, which is how sustainable is the new way of living. It's really difficult to tell because uh, many things change, these transitions in health include changes in subsistence and economics and demography, trade and migration, power and control, genetics in as much as there are unrealized susceptibilities. If your environment changes, then your genetics may be predisposed to, to, to something like type 2 diabetes, for example, when it had never been seen before. So, um, and metabolic imprinting, that is, as birth weight changes, as human growth patterns change, the susceptibilities to chronic disease also change. Okay, the last example is one from, uh, from South Korea, uh, which is the Schreckendieck et al. Uh, paper that is looking not at a simple society, but a complex society. I think South Korea should be very resilient. It's a very ancient society, very ancient civilization, and yet, the many things changed there that were, 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 were uh, perhaps unexpected. In the 19th century, there was contestation between um, change in the American model and in the Japanese model, and an ambiguity and ambivalence about which is the best way. The Japanese treated the Koreans badly in various colonial wars in earlier times, and so you know, for some people, the Japanese model really wasn't so good. The American model of, of, of modernization uh, was a very foreign kind, so a lot of contestation. Um, in the end, the Christian model prevailed. There was significant Christian influence in, in, in South Korea that pushed for the American model of modernity and American model of, of nationalism. And then something strange happens because in the West, there was an idea of the East, of the Orient, which was focused in was a romanticized view of what the East should look like. It fed back into Western ways of thinking. And then this was fed back to Korea, that the kind of Eastern model for development for Korea was actually filtered through the lens of Western ideas. So when you think about South Korea now, a, it seems very confused until you get some idea of its history, which is that it's taken on, internalized, um, not only Western ideas, but also ideas of Asianness through Western eyes. 
from from the 19th century through 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 historical processes so a sense of inferiority in relation to the west started to started to uh, emerge and so after the the the, the conflict of 1950 1953 the American-led modernization happened very, very quickly and very, very powerfully. So Korea became a very modern nation. But unlike, I'd say, unlike China, where there'd be very strong traditions that need to be challenged, the traditions of Korea had been challenged and had been reinvented already over a hundred years, a hundred years before that. So. Um, the modern preoccupations could take on very, very quickly. It could modernize very, very quickly because already in people's heads they were pre-modernized, if you will. Okay, so rapid changes. The um, access to clean water and sanitation led to control of infectious diseases and intestinal parasites after World War, after World War II. Um, the emergence and dominance of non-communicable diseases, cancer, heart disease, type 2 diabetes, and stroke. But then also significantly uh, uh, psychiatric disorders, eating disorders, bodily dissatisfaction, plastic surgery. The rates of plastic surgery for purposes of beauty in South Korea are the highest in the world. So there are all kinds of things that are partic particular. The new bodily ideals, the westernization and the idealization of the Western body which is slimness. From 1990s, the consumer markets grew, and the media have driven this idea of the slim body, um, and not just media in a neutral way. The media have been seen by the government as a strategic industry for economic growth, that the, me the media are actually driving change in South Korea towards modernization in a way that's not neutral in a way that is far more powerful, I'd say, than in, 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 in most Western countries. So the body size ideals of, of thinness can be illustrated, this is again in the paper, um, that the pop stars, the um, uh, 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 both male and female have a very low body mass index, they're likely to be taller than average Koreans, thinner than average Koreans, and it creates for a whole set of um, problems um, in relation to how do you have and maintain a modern body. That the, it's no surprise that eating disorders have increased dramatically in South Korea because there's the idea of the modern, uh, of the modern body. Eurasian facial features, plastic surgery to alter eyes, for example, to be able to uh, get towards a more Western kind of, 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 of ideal. Uh, socioeconomic valuation of the body has increased, being um, slim, is an asset in terms of employability in the, in, in the job market. So then there's a whole industry about maintaining the modern body through dieting, through workouts, slimming pills, um, growth hormone treatment, cosmetic surgery, and so on. All of this is, you know, all hugely messed up. It seems messed up, but when you start to place it in its, in its historical context, it starts to make some sense. Thank you. Those are North Koreans. Thank <laughs> you.